The world is always on, but you shouldn't be. Put junk sleep to bed. At Mattress Firm's Black Friday Now Sale, save up to 60% on Sealy with Queen Mattresses starting at $279.99. Talk to a sleep expert today and unjunk your sleep. Geico presents Daily Affirmations. Repeat after me. Our thoughts are like the ocean. Our thoughts are like the ocean. Our thoughts create our reality. Our thoughts create our reality. We're thinking Geico offers claim service 24-7 with personalized attention from an assigned team. Geico offers claim service? Um, I wasn't thinking that. We think it and it becomes our reality. So, uh, what about washboard abs? Let's give it a go. Think really hard. Okay, abs, abs, abs. Yeah, keep thinking. To manifest more Geico in your life, go to geico.com. Hello there, welcome to another episode of This Week in History with me, your host, Dan the Viking. Now this week I want to start with a uh, little bit of housekeeping. Uh, first things first, I have had a new review. The new review is uh, from, I hate to say it, Bender800 uh, from the United States of America. So it's another five star review, so thank you very much. And it says, the host is a great storyteller. As an American fan of English history, I enjoy the topics he chooses, as they are mostly English, but a few American topics sprinkled in. I listen to the show while I work, and it makes the time fly, listening to three to four episodes a day. Wow, you're going to be caught up within a couple of weeks then. That's pretty good. Um, This week, we are covering another American one, so you should be... uh, should be happy to know that. Next little shout out. Uh, I just want to say we have dropped out of the uh, some of the charts. We're uh, we were in the Canadian top two hundred. We have dropped out of the Canadian top two hundred this week. Um, however, we are in the top two hundred for Australia, South Korea, the Philippines, and Hong Kong. Believe it or not. So to my international listeners, hello, <laughs> hello from Dan the Viking over here in sunny cold freezing wet england uh it's definitely not very sunny right now uh, we are covering this week for those of you who are on the facebook group and did see the picture i believe nobody actually guessed it right there were a few guesses but nobody actually got the correct answer the man we're looking for this week was a man who goes by the name of jim bridger Now, Jim Bridger was born in America. He was born in Richmond, Virginia in 1804. And he was possibly one of the original mountain men. So when we talk about the mountain men of America, we're talking about the men who explored to the West. The original men who took that trip across America to the parts where they didn't know where they were going. The guys who explored the guys who really put themselves out there and dealt with 
the Native Americans a little bit more than possibly the guys on the East. The main reason for that um, was, like I said, it's just human it's human nature to just explore. And uh, these men uh, and women and children, a lot of them took their families with them, they explored the West of America. And had it not been for people like this, then... I mean, I mean, obviously nowadays that it would have been discovered, but you know these were the original men who who went out there and and really made America what it is now. What I find so interesting about Jim Bridger is he was not very well educated. Now, this was quite common in the eighteen hundreds. A lot of people, you know, you had to be a certain type of person to be well educated. Uh, Jim Bridger was was not one of these men. He was not lucky enough to to be born into an education system. Now it's said that he couldn't even write his own name. That's how you know how he was as a person. However, um, from many people who knew him and wrote things down, he was described as a man with a very strong constitution. Allowed him to survive in extreme conditions. Uh, he explored the Rocky Mountains, uh, and he, you know, from what would become Southern Colorado, um, all the way to the Canadian border. Um, he was also fluent, or at least fluent-ish, in French and Spanish, and he also spoke three Native American languages. Those were the languages of the Blackfoot, the Crow, and the Sioux. So that he actually managed to learn the native american languages he was very very well traveled very quick to learn things but not necessarily what we would call book smart but definitely life smart so jim bridger he actually had quite a kind of a hard upbringing not an upbringing that people would really want to deal with um he moved from virginia to missouri when he was eight years old with his mum and dad and as soon as he turned 13, he had lost both his mum and dad. So in a five-year period, he'd lost both his parents. So you understand the life of a mountain man in these days was normally quite solitary, um, not not the type of occupation or job that most people would want to do because it wasn't easy, it was hard work, and you, you had to be able to live on your own. Now, for a, a man who's orphaned at 13 years old, probably being out in the wilderness and, and out on your own, you're probably quite used to that. He was taken in by a blacksmith and his wife, and he was he was taught at a young age the trade of the blacksmith. So he, he learned a, a trade quite early on. The problem is, it wasn't really what he wanted to do. He started to hear these stories about the fur trade out west and how easy it was to make money you know the fur trade was huge in the 1800s and if you had the right tools and the right know-how it was an easy way to make money at the age of 18 he joined a group of men who were traveling out west to trap beavers for their fur so this was the first type of fur that he encountered and the first type of a hunting, trapping, fur trade job, really, that he tried, um, and that was with beavers on the West Coast. Well, not on the West Coast, but as he was moving west across the country. 
1823, his group of uh, trappers or mountain men, they were stuck in the winter and they, they were stuck by Bear River in Idaho. Now, whether this is true or not, but the, the story goes that basically the group were not sure where the Bear River ended up. They thought it went all the way to the Pacific Ocean and the only way to find that, if it was true, was to follow the river. Jim Bridger, being the man that he is, uh, volunteered to go and have a look. I'm going to follow the river, I'll find out where it goes. And uh, he followed it, he followed it all the way to the Great Salt Lake. So for those of you who don't know, the Great Salt Lake is quite famous in the West of America. Now, he actually was possibly the first white man ever to see the Great Salt Lakes. And this is why he is, you know, so famous. And this is why I wanted to do the story on him, because his story is just so, it's just so cool. It's so different to uh, to any of the other mountain men that, that you can cover at the time. He was, he was the original pioneer, and uh, he really, really was fantastic. Now, obviously, he found the Great Salt Lake, probably tasted it, and made the assumption that because the water was so salty, that he had found either the Pacific Ocean or at least a branch of the Pacific Ocean where it meets the lake. Now, obviously, that isn't true, but you can understand why when, when he's found salt water and not fresh water. Another famous story that's linked with Jim Bridger is the story of getting the pelts or the furs down the river. Now, General Ashley basically decided that the 22-mile trip down the, down the Big Arm River would have saved them a lot of time and effort if they could get the pelts onto rafts and float them down the river. Now, the Native Americans at the time believed that that river was unnavigatable. It was not possible to to get round it. It was very rapid, very white water, um, very dangerous, and there was no real way of getting a raft down there. And Jim Bridger took it upon himself to say to General Ashley, well, you know, the only way we're going to find out is if someone does it. Someone's got to go down that river and find out. And that's what he did. He built himself a raft. He got on the raft and he didn't make it. <laughs> he didn't get the 22 miles downstream. He, you know, we don't know how far he got, but he, the raft uh, broke apart and he was uh, swept away and had to sort of clamber back. When he got back to General Ashley, he basically said, no, actually, that's not a good idea to be sending furs down down that river. It's probably not going to survive. Uh, I think we need to uh, we need to do it on horseback. So he, again, on his own, decided to put his life on the line to try and benefit the whole group. So in 1830, he's been doing this for a, a good few years now, and him and four other. Um, men, four other friends, decided to buy out the fur company that they were working for, which was called the Rocky Mountain Fur Company. 
and they bought this out for $16,000. Now, in the 1800s, $16,000 was a lot of money. And obviously, it goes to show how this orphaned blacksmith boy and how much money was actually there for them to make. You know, they, they wasn't they wasn't very poor. They was very well off. They'd made a lot of money and obviously decided to, to buy it out and try and do it themselves. They decided to move the fur company to the north of the Missouri River. And the reason they did that was because they believed there was slightly more beavers there, slightly more money to be made. Um, downside to moving it there was you were right in the heart of Blackfoot country, who were possibly one of the most dangerous Native American tribes of the time. Certainly very dangerous for a, a white man, certainly very dangerous for a group of men who were potentially stealing from their land. So in 1832, they uh, the group of men, four men, actually came across around 100 members of the Blackfoot tribe, um, a group that were called Blood Indians. So they were basically the warriors of, of this tribe. Now, one of the group fired a warning shot in the air, to which the Blood Indians replied with a white flag. Now, obviously, this is peace, and this was them saying we don't want to fight you know you've clearly got weapons we're not we're not interested in this fight we'd rather be peaceful and two members of the fur trapping company rode out and two members of the the blackfoot tribe rode out obviously at this time they're having discussions smoking a, a what's called a peace pipe um jim bridger has wanted you know he's not in the middle of this now he's a curious man he's new to things he wants to know what's going on so he rides out to see what's going on as he rides out um another indian rides out to meet him as he meets him uh, jim cocks his rifle clicks the the lock back on his rifle um obviously the the Native American who, who hears this knows exactly what that means. He knows the noise and he grabs the rifle from Jim, points the, the rifle to the ground. Jim pulls the trigger and the round goes into the floor. The Native American or Indian uh, takes the rifle off him and smacks him around the face with it. Obviously now a fight's broken out and the men are forced to retreat. As they retreat, Jim is shot in the back with two arrows. Both arrows are embedded into his back. Both groups, you know, got away almost unharmed, and Bridger's men managed to get one of the arrows out of his back. The other one, they couldn't get out, so they had to cut it down um, and leave it in his back because it was embedded in his spine, so they couldn't actually get the metal out. And so they just cut it so it was slightly poking out of his back and he was left with an arrow in his back. Three years later, uh, Jim actually found a doctor to remove the arrowhead. So it was stuck in his back for three years before a doctor actually even attempted to take it out of his back. 
The operation was a success, and he managed to cut all the callous skin around of his back first, and then obviously remove the arrowhead, and Jim Bridger carried on his normal day as, as he would anyway. So um, this surgery drew in a lot of people to watch. There was hundreds of people, both um, trappers and, and furmen and also Native Americans who had come just to watch to see this man remove an arrow from someone's back that's been in there for three years. So amazing what happens with without a TV in life. How uh, what uh, What is classed as entertainment? I'm not sure I'd have the stomach to watch someone cut someone else's back open just to remove an arrowhead that's not <laughs> but some people some people would so obviously in this instance there was quite a lot of people that were interested in that later that year Jim also married his first wife uh, he was friendly with some Native Americans he was friendly with a tribe called the Flatheads um, and he ended up marrying one of the chief's daughters uh, in 1835 as well her name was Cora, and they were married for 11 years until she died. They also had three children. So he was possibly one of the first men to actually marry into the native family and have mixed-race children in, in that sort of a relationship. He was probably one of the first ones to actually do it the right way. Rather than raping and pillaging, he was probably one of the first men to actually marry into that culture in 1843 the fur trade was declining and they had to come up with a new way of making money and jim and one of his partners opened um, a place that they called fort bridger which was a trading post for people and this was in uh, wyoming by the green river so he this uh, this is quite a famous place. I'm I'm not actually sure if it still exists, but I know the Bridger Trail still exists. So I don't know if uh, if anyone can let me know if uh, the trading post still exists or Fort Bridger still exists. Um, be somewhere amazing to go if it does. So it's a very interesting place that he had to open, and and like I said, it it shows someone who is moving with the times. You know, you tend to find with a lot of these old, rugged men, they are very stuck in their ways. Well, he knew that the fur trade was losing money. He wasn't going to be able to keep making the amount of money that he was doing. And he had to come up with something new, and that's exactly what he did. He he created this new trading post for travellers and natives to come in and, you know, help out and make himself a little bit more money and keep him in a little bit little bit better life than what he was uh you know to what he'd become accustomed to you know he wasn't a poor man at this point now the problem with jim bridger and this trading post there were a group of people that didn't like him they didn't trust him and they certainly didn't like the fact that he had such a good relationship with the natives and for those of you who don't know they are the mormons now the mormons are a religion in America, um, mainly in America, they, they, you know, we have a few of their churches over in this country. Um, I would, I will be doing an episode on Joseph Smith, who was the founder of the religion, um, because I think it's really interesting. Um, you know, it's it's definitely a story that I I have looked into and something that I find. 
I find it quite amusing, but I also find it very interesting that how people do follow certain things that to a normal, if you look at it from an outside in a normal eyes, you would just go, well, that's crazy. But then if you're in that sort of a, an era and that sort of a position, it's not as crazy as you might think. So, and that goes, I mean, to, to me, that goes for all religions. That's not just the Mormons. I, I don't understand religion myself. Um, it's not, not part of my life. So, um, you know, that, but on that basis, like, I, something I'm very interested in and certainly definitely interested in the Mormon religion because it's, uh, it's fascinating. And if you don't know about it, it's definitely something worth looking into. But anyway, digressing a little bit, these men didn't like Jim Bridger. They hated him that much, they sent an armed party to arrest him. Now, he was outnumbered, outgunned, and had to flee Fort Bridger and gave it up to the Mormons and had to flee back into the mountains. So he, he ended up losing his fort without you know being able to defend it, really. He was married a second time uh, to a Ute Indian. Um, she was quite young. Um, she died during childbirth at I say quite young, she was probably, you know, mid-twenties, but she died during childbirth, so in comparison to Jim, she was quite young at this time, because he was in his forties, but um, they were only married for a year until she passed, so um, they didn't really have a very long relationship. After that, he married his third wife, who was a, she was another chief's daughter, uh, from, uh, please help me if I've got this wrong, a Shoshone or Shoshani chief. Uh, it was one of her one of his daughters. Now he married her, and he took her to his farm that he had in Missouri. So they lived away from the Mormons and away from the people who didn't like him. He lived on that farm until the age of seventy-seven, when he died at well, he died at home on his farm at seventy-seven. So. He had a very interesting life, a very different life, and not necessarily your standard mountain man's life. Now, for me, researching Jim Bridger was definitely a bit different because I found that what I expected from a mountain man, what I, being English and not knowing about it, what I was expecting was uh, the gold, the gold rush. And when you hear mountain men, I just assumed that these were men who went looking for gold. Well, turns out that they're different types of people. So that was a new one for me. And I knew about Jim Bridger because of the Johnny Horton song, Jim Bridger, uh, which I will play at the end because it's a fantastic song. And I knew about him because of that. It wasn't something I'd ever really researched or ever really looked into, but I did do a bit of research, and I thought, you know, this this man's fascinating. He, you know, he he loses his parents at a young age. He learns the trade of a blacksmith. He goes on this ex adventure to the west. He becomes the first white man to see the Great Salt Lakes. He marries three different Indian brides from three different tribes. He's had an arrow surgically removed from his back after three years. He ridden down a river on a raft that, you know, he's just had such a fantastic, eccentric and different life. And, you know, something that is not 
what you would see on your everyday type of person. And the, the other reason I wanted to cover him is because I find him uh, not only an interesting character, but believe it or not, actually quite a a happy character and quite a happy story. You know, I know this isn't the longest episode. I think this episode will come in at around sort of half an hour when when you add the music to it. Um, but I find this, uh, you know, it's uh, it's not as depressing as some of the stories that I have covered. It's something that's a little bit more fun and a little bit more interesting. Um, you know, there's there's even a story that suggests that Jim Bridger actually met with Colonel Custer. Um, now, I will be doing an episode on Colonel Custer, and the reason for that is I find the story of Major General Custer of the 7th US Cavalry very interesting. Um, I think it's a, a very interesting story, very interesting man. And I also have a listener who is on my Patreon, uh, an absolutely wonderful man, goes by the name of Mike. Again, I won't give out your surname, Mike. Uh, he is also part of the 7th Cavalry. So, or, or I believe he was a member of the 7th Cavalry Regiment. So, this is a man who is from the same unit as General Custer. And that, to me, is absolutely fantastic. And what a story. So there was no way I was missing up an opportunity to to almost dedicate an episode to a fan. So, uh, Mike, keep an ear out for that one. That one is uh, specifically, you know, for you, almost. I know, uh, I hope everyone else will enjoy that episode, but, you know, I really do hope you uh, you listen to that one. So that's why we're covering that. But like I said, uh, Jim Bridger uh, allegedly met with Colonel Custer and explained to Custer that the Native Americans should not be taken lightly. Um, you know, obviously understanding the stories and understanding the way that Native Americans lived their lives, Jim Bridger had a different outlook towards them than possibly the majority of Americans at that time. Obviously, having three native brides, he knew a little bit more about their culture and a little bit more about them as people before Custer came in. I think he actually, the story goes that he actually spoke with him and said, you need to treat them with a little bit more respect um, because they are proud people and they also will... You know, they won't lay down for you. They're not going to just allow you to run through their land. And for those of you that don't know the story, spoiler alert for one of the next episodes, Colonel Custer is killed at the Battle of Little Bighorn by Native Americans. So he obviously didn't listen and uh, didn't pay that much attention to what Jim Bridger had to say. So it's a very interesting story. Um, and definitely, like I said, definitely something that I will be uh, be looking into for for Custer. Um, hopefully, you have enjoyed this episode. I know this is a shorter episode. Like I said, it's uh, I'm trying to uh, trying to cut down on some of the content on episodes. I have had a few messages saying that I put in quite a lot of detail. Um, 
so I thought if I try a shorter episode, see if you guys enjoy that. If you don't enjoy the shorter episodes, if you'd rather I will go into more detail like I have been doing, just drop me a message because, you know, I'm quite happy to go back back to uh, a lot of detail um, and and see how it goes. You know, you guys are, you you guys dictate the show. I just read my notes and do my uh, do my work. But you guys, you guys dictate the show to me. You direct it. You tell me what you want um, and what you want to hear. So, you know, I hope you guys do enjoy what you what you hear and i do hope that you enjoyed this episode like i said it is shorter it's a little bit different but at least it's a happy story we've not got any murders or any uh anything like that in this episode no hangings uh when we're talking about the english history so um yeah hopefully that's a little bit better for some of you guys now i have had a comment on my patreon um i've had people comment on the al capone episode uh, saying that they absolutely loved it and it's one of their favourite episodes. The last episode that has gone on to Patreon is Dick Turpin. So for those of you who don't know, Dick Turpin is actually um, a highwayman. Now, highwayman is a little bit different. Um, highwayman is someone who robs stagecoaches and robs people at gunpoint, but you know, in a different type of way, and this is around the 1800s as well, um, but in England. So if the thought of a highwayman interests you, then get yourselves over to Patreon, get yourselves on there. Uh, so you, you can sign up anything from, uh, I think, $5 a month. Sign up, join up, and we shall see you on Patreon. Uh, if you're not on Patreon, get yourselves onto our Facebook group, uh, you can join us on This Week in History on Facebook. I do say it every week. Um, but I do it because, you know, you guys enjoy that page and you guys do actually contribute every week to what I have to say. If I do still have your interest and you are still listening, uh, which I do hope you are, I just want to draw your attention to something that my dad actually found from the ti- uh, Titanic, from the Trafalgar episode. Now, we did a lot of research for that one. And we came a lot looking. We were looking so hard for someone from our family who was in the Navy at that time. And we found a man named William Gamblin. Now, William Gamblin is potentially related to to us. Um, It's unlikely that they're not, with the surname being exactly the same. It's a strange surname. And it's not one that is, we find a few different spelling, spelled differently, but to it being spelled exactly the same is is very rare. Now, I'm going to read this. This is what my dad actually found. It was uh, William Gamblin married Joanna Ann Seymour. Now, for those of you who are aware of the name Seymour, you will be aware that Jane Seymour was the wife of Henry VIII, the third wife of Henry VIII which means that William Gamblin married a descendant of the Queen of England. At one point, Jane Seymour was Queen of England. And also the wife of probably the most famous king ever. So, potentially, there is a little bit of royal blood in my family. Now, Gamblin is not considered a very common name, and he was actually a common sailor. So this is where we found him. 
he was a blacksmith, but at the age of 19, he joined the army. Uh, when he joined the army, he then left there and joined the navy, which was quite common. A lot of people did, you know, they flitted between each each thing. Turns out that he was actually at the Battle of Trafalgar. Not only was he at the Battle of Trafalgar, he was on board HMS Victory. So he was actually on Admiral Nelson's ship when he was attacked at the battle. Now, the story says that he is actually one of the four men that carried Nelson down to the hull of the ship when Nelson was shot. So I'm not sure about that story in particular, but definitely quite interesting to think that uh, my ancestor potentially uh, one married into a royal family or a noble family and two uh, possibly carried Lord Admiral Nelson down a flight of stairs after he'd been shot which is quite cool and definitely fought at the Battle of Trafalgar so he's actually buried in New Brunswick uh, where he you know where he he lived um, in Canada, so he he did, you know, it's quite an interesting story. Once he left the navy, uh, him and his wife went over to Canada, and that's where they stayed. So, uh, for those of you who are interested in my family history, there's a little bit of it there for you. Uh, hopefully, what my dad actually found on that is factually correct, but it has come from Ancestry.com, so it is uh, a reputable website, and hopefully. Yeah, I mean, it's quite cool to think that potentially you're listening to a royal voice. You could be talking, you know, six million in line to the throne, but even so, it's still royal. So I'll take that. <laughs> Definitely take that. Um, so, yeah, that is uh, that is a little bit about my history. So like, uh, we are going to end this episode with a song, uh, and that is by Johnny Horton, and that is the Jim Bridger song. It's a fantastic song. Um, so stay tuned, give it a listen, and we shall see you next week. So just remember, everyone, we all have history. Make yours great. Bye-bye. Once there was a mountain man who couldn't write his name, yet he deserves a front row seat in history's hall of fame. He forgot more about the Indians than we will ever know. He spoke the language of the Sioux, the Blackfoot and the Crow. Let's drink to old Jim Bridger, yes, let your glasses high. As long as there's a USA, don't let his memory die. That he was making history, never once occurred to him. But I doubt if we'd have been here If it weren't for men like Jim He spoke with General Custer And said, listen, yellow hair The Sioux are a great nation So treat them fair and square Sit in on their war council Don't laugh away their pride But Custer didn't listen At little bighorn Custer died Let's drink to old Jim Bridger Yes, lift your glasses high As long as there's a USA Don't let his memory die That he was making history Never once occurred to him But I doubt if we'd have been here If it weren't for men like Jim 
names and there's legends that tell of Carson's fame. Yet compared to Jim Bridger, Kit was civilized and tame. These words are straight from Carson's lips if you place such store by him. If there's a man who knows this God-forsaken land, it's Jim. Let's drink to all Jim Bridger. Yes, lift your glasses high. As long as there's a USA, don't let his memory die. That he was making history never once occurred to him. But I doubt it would have been here if it weren't for men like Jim. Finding the right person for the job isn't easy. Just ask someone who hired a stuntman to do their home renovations. Just finished the new sunroom, Mrs. C. The best part is I used candy glass for all the windows, so you can do this. And this. Doesn't hurt a bit either. But if you've got an insurance question, you can always count on your local GEICO agent. They can bundle your policies, which could save you hundreds. And if you don't want to take the long way to the kitchen, the walls are breakaway too. See? For expert help with all your insurance needs, visit geico.com slash local today.